0: Welcome to The Graveyard Ship, the weekly horror podcast where we take listener and guest suggested movies and break them down into the good, the bad, and anything else we find fun or and or relevant is what we usually do. But this is The Price is Right. So we're going to be paying tribute to Vincent Leonard Price. I don't celebrate the works of Vincent Price alone. Joining me is a man who wouldn't care about something knocking over all of his stuff because he's already got cats. John.
1: <laughs> yeah no indeed. I, I I'm more of one of those people knock stuff over. I, I'm more of a get to it later type of guy if I'm gonna like pick it back up, you know <laughs> Hey maybe it'll look it'll stylize the place a bit.
0: Who knows? <laughs> makes it makes you look lived in.
1: Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah.
0: And Very homie. <laughs> and back with us is the man who would probably serve a demon for personal gain but only after getting it in writing first. David Bronstein.
2: Hi Mike and John. I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, and you've seen the movie in, and you've seen the movie that we're covering in Recent Memory, so you came prepared.
2: Oh, I, I, was, it was, I was so fantastic. Oh, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, you right. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, today's episode is Dear Diary because we watched Diary of a Madman. This was directed by Reginald Le Borg, written by Robert E. Kent, based on the Horla by Guy de Maupassant. You know, the Horla sounds like some some shitty sixties dance craze, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do the Horla,
0: and then you Do go. The horla. Like- <laughs> then you got like Lawrence Welk in the Bossa Nova Quartet in the background. I, I, that's
2: funny that you brought that up. The whole, I, I didn't even think of that when uh, a dance, a 60s dance. It's funny that it's it's great how you have different perceptions. I never thought of that.
0: Do the horla. <laughs> <do>, right. Fuck it. That's the title of this episode. Do the horla. Do the horla. Right. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but well, like-
2: you just said in the, in this podcast it was written the the, the Horla was a, a story written. They made a movie from it about it.
0: Yes, it was a it was a story from the 1800s by Guy de Maupassant.
2: How, how are you able to say that name? Even I can't say that name.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm Canadian, so we're used to French people.
2: Oh. <laughs> so a Frenchman wrote this story about the Horla in the 1800s, and did he? Was it fiction, or did he actually believe it was a real thing?
0: Uh, no, it was a short horror story from 1887, and it was written in the style of a journal entry by the uh, French writer Guy de Maupassant. It was published in the newspaper Guilblay, Oct- uh, October 26th, 1886. You know, a lot and uh, this story has been yeah. cited as an inspiration for Lovecraft's The Call of Cthulhu.
2: Yeah, which also my features kid, my kid loves Lovecraft, knows all about it, and uh, talks about Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, so this
0: is the guy that inspired him.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah, the, I'm the, a big Lovecraft Fra- Fra- fan too. Yeah,
2: the French guy that wrote the whole uh, the horror, the horrors of it. Uh, we do they would at Jewish wedding do the horror. <laughs> 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 do the horror. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I know, growing up, I knew some horrors. But um the uh, <laughs> the uh, what, what we just say. So Lovecraft was inspired by this Frenchman.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that. considering that Lovecraft uh, also wrote about Cthulhu, which also features, like, uh, an extra-dimensional being that influences people's minds. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, Cthulhu, uh, yeah, that's...
0: Right, or
1: got, yeah. uh, if you no, want
0: to get my more... My
2: kid knows about Cthulhu. Tell me about Cthulhu again. It's very, very familiar. What's Cthulhu, uh?
0: Uh, he's like a squid-faced green guy that lives in the ocean, and, uh, simply knowing he exists is enough to fracture your mind. Cthulhu
2: sounds, I mean, I, why would I, why do I know of it, Cthulhu? Why do I
0: know of it? because it's been written around, it's been written since the 1920s, so it probably got passed around in a lot of, uh, different, uh, stories and stuff. They made plenty of movies like The Mouth of Madness, Castle Freak, Reanimator was also done by Lovecraft. Uh, I don't know how many movies directly, uh, <laughs> reference Cthulhu. Yep. Um, I think there was, like, The Mouth of Madness or, uh, uh wasn't there, like, mm, a 50s movie? that
1: was supposed um, to be, uh... Ooh, you know i'm not sure well there was this movie i think called cthulhu but it it, it wasn't really about cthulhu it, it very loosely based off of it but like cthulhu is that's probably his most popular work and he's all over pop culture you probably see t-shirts and uh, with yeah. him on there i, I even yeah. have
0: a green a squid guy red eyes super yeah. massive comes out of the ocean Yep.
2: I uh, have a, I, yeah. Well, was he in that um, Johnny Depp movies playing the pirate? Was he in there?
0: Uh, no. You're thinking of uh, uh Davy Jones, but Davy Jones did look like Cthulhu pretty much. So, uh, yeah, kind of mean, has some. Yeah. It, it seems.
1: I I don't know if they're like directly inspired, but when you think about it, they they are kind of similar. They both came out of the ocean, you know, just. Like, <laughs>
2: You could yeah. have a great conversation with my kid Lauren because he loves horror. He does a horror podcast. He, uh, so he would know everything you you guys are discussing. He would be very. Uh, uh, you'd have an intelligent podcast with my kid. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> an, an intelligent horror podcast versus with me. But he knows all this stuff. Yeah. All right. So so go ahead, please. Diary of a what is it called? The movie Diary of Diary a Madman.
0: Yeah, Bridget Jones's Diary of a Madman. Yeah. Diary but, of a Mad Black Woman by uh, <laughs> by Tyler Perry.
2: <laughs> wasn't that a movie Diary of a...
0: Yeah. Wasn't a Diary yeah.
2: of a ma- Mad Woman? Was that one?
0: Diary right. of a Mad Black Woman. That was uh, Tyler Perry. Yeah. Oh, that,
2: that That's recent.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. I think it came out uh, about like a decade ago, but I still I consider that bad recent, bad. you know?
0: Yeah, so but, the word horla itself is not French, and... uh it is, however, a portmanteau of two French words, or, outside, and la, there. So la or la is basically the outsider, the one from out there. Ah, okay.
2: All right, thank you. So, so when, it was, when it was written in the 1800s, is there any uh, information that people were afraid, they were scared, they thought it was real?
0: Well, it was uh, written as a journal entry in the newspaper, so probably not. Um,
2: You know, because War of the Worlds by Orson Welles, when he did that radio broadcast, you know, in 19, what was it, 1939? Is
0: that when it was? Uh, 30-something. Yeah, that was the the big panic from that because they never pretended it was fake. I mean they never pretended it was real. The thing is is that uh most people only found the radio broadcast by tuning in from my uh, uh speaking of Lawrence Welk I think it was someone like who was that guy in the 30s who had like his own uh, music show like Glenn Campbell or uh Lombardo? I no. was, hmm. was it
2: was a guy Lombardo I mean a lot of uh, there was a lot of radio shows in the 30s you know as, as you're saying like Lawrence Welk like Glenn Miller,
0: Glenn Miller—that's what I was thinking. Uh, basically, they were listening to Glenn Miller or something like him, and they only tuned into the uh, the other stuff during uh, commercial breaks. So basically, people were channel surfing on the radio, and that's when they missed the beginning part, saying like, "We now present War of the Worlds performed by blah blah blah," and all all the stuff that's basically saying this is fake. <laughs> So it's their fault because they missed the beginning. Right. Okay. So they only tuned in while channel surfing from the from the uh, from the other radio show.
1: It's just like dropping into the middle of a movie with no context,
0: you know? Okay. Yeah. So that's why he. That's why Lawrence uh, uh, Orson Welles was just like. You know, we didn't uh, we we didn't deceive you. You just didn't do a good job listening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, very it's good. Like,
0: it's like well, seriously, you know. W- w-
2: did Mary Shelley write Frankenstein before this hulu or after the Hulu? Whatever you call it.
0: Uh, she wrote Frankenstein in uh, I think eighteen eighteen. Oh really? So yeah. She was a teenage mm-hmm. girl when she wrote it too. Yeah. So a teenage girl. Just was able to write a, a story about alienation being othered in society. Basically, you know, Frankenstein was her way of expressing, you know, you know how a woman is treated in society. Like, they look at you and they, they, they make a picture of what you're supposed to be and they judge you immediately by looking at you. So Frankenstein was also judged when people looked at him rather than anybody trying to speak with him or get to know him.
2: It was an analogy to
0: the whole story? Well, it yeah. fits. Yeah. I think, and uh, she did that shit when she was a teenage girl. And she yeah. had such a lock on the human condition. She was able to just make this science fiction horror. And it, it just killed it. And she didn't even announce her name in the first printing. She uh, remained anonymous. So, So she
2: writes a story and then... then she has to convince a publisher to publish
0: it. Yeah, well, her father was already a publisher, so I think she had some connections. But she did ask to remain anonymous, and with good reason, because when she did reveal her gender, a lot of people were suddenly not liking the story anymore because it was written by a woman who should have known better than to try to follow in a man's world. (laughs) Yeah. So she proved them right by, you know, yeah, this is why I kept my gender secret because you couldn't handle a capable woman. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah exactly you know I think just a bunch of guys getting real insecure and all of a sudden they just they get outraged you know
0: <laughs> yeah toxic to- toxic masculinity may have been given that name recently but it has been around for a very long time
2: all right well you're very you're very knowledgeable you're very uh, very educational
0: well we try to educate as well as entertain on this show
2: <laughs> Okay. yeah
0: Hey, you know, on a on
1: the side here, I've actually been trying to study a little bit of uh, some formal film analysis because I want to step up my game a little bit and try to, I don't know, try to get better at trying to extrapolate deeper meaning out of just cinema and why choices are made and what they're trying to say underneath the plot. And, you know, I I like that kind of stuff,
0: you know, this has a connection to Star Trek. What? What? No way. The Star Trek episode "Wolf in the Fold" features a Horla-like entity, the spirit that possesses various people to kill. At uh, and it shows that it was once on Earth as Jack the Ripper. Yeah,
2: but Jack the Ripper was real, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, but in this uh, in, in Star Trek, it turns out Jack the Ripper was a human that was possessed by a, an entity of uh, pure malevolence. Because in yeah, because in that episode he goes to a planet where where uh, Scotty is possessed, and kills a woman, and uh, this woman with ESP, before she's killed, she realizes that, uh, you know this 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 force is possessing him, and it has many names, and one of the names that she gave was Red Jack, so when they uh, went through the ship's computer, they found out Red Jack was one of the nicknames of Jack the Ripper. <laughs>
1: Used yeah. to be a professor a, of horror. That is a crazy tie-in right there.
0: <laughs> and and I've been only recently watching the uh, the original Star Trek recently, and I saw that episode and I fucking loved it, because the, like the question is how do you defeat like a like an entity of evil that jumps from one body to another? So they let it get into one body, and then they sent that body into the transporter and spread it across the fucking galaxy. So it's like, great, you want to possess this body? This body is now an atomic layer of of butter across the, the sandwich that is this solar system. Good luck trying to kill anybody while you're one atom thick. You're like basically he, graphene.
1: Yeah, it's like you go up to him and be like, hey, play 52 card pickup. <laughs> 52 yeah.
0: trillion cell pickup. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, that's great that that's finally used to transport it outright and murder somebody on the show. (laughs) So uh, a final bit of trivia about this movie before we get on to Vincent Price was this was the final film of Lewis Martin, who uh, played the priest in here. And he also played a religious man on this podcast before because he was the preacher from War of the Worlds. Oh, I knew
2: he looked familiar. The, the actor, yep. the character actor.
0: Yep. He's the guy uh. that walked towards the aliens holding up the Bible thinking, oh, yeah, these aliens know God. Uh, and man. the aliens are just like, oh, yeah, God, fuck that guy. And fuck you, too. <laughs> right, right, yeah.
1: Like, we are your God. <laughs> we are your gods.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, So, this, uh... Oh, shit, I think we uh, we stopped in the middle of uh, we were doing the stats on this movie, and then we got distracted. This movie was released 1963 in uh, the U.S., Finland and Sweden had a bit of a national release. This has a runtime of 96 minutes or 99 minutes, depending on which version you get. And this stars Vincent Price as Simon Cordier, Nancy Kovac as Odette maluk du class, Chris Warfield as Paul Duklaas, Elaine DeVry as Jean d'Arville. Ian Wolfe as Pierre, Cordier's butler. Stephen Roberts as Captain Robert Renadon. Louis Martin as Father Raymond. Mary Adams as Louise, Cordier's cook. Joseph Ruskin as the voice of the Horla. And Don Brody as Marcel the Postman. This has a Rotten Tomato score of 54%. <laughs> so, as this is Vincent Price month, Vincent Price Appreciation month on the podcast, we got a little bit of uh, random stats about Vinny. So, in his later years, whenever he was asked to sign for his autograph, he would sign his name Dolores Del Rio instead of his actual name. So, when people asked why, he replied in complete seriousness. I made a promise to her on her deathbed that I would do what I could to keep her name alive. So that's really fucking sweet. Yeah, that is really
1: cool.
2: Very nice.
0: Uh, He was very very close friends with Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Because, you know, who who could meet Vincent Price and not be his best friend? The man was a damn angel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, from from what we're hearing about this guy, yeah, I mean... Real class act, you know, legend. Um, I wish I would have gotten a chance to meet him when he was still alive.
0: Same here. Died when I was like 13, so I just never had a chance to really get to meet him, sadly.
1: Yeah, what was that? Edward Scissorhands was his last film appearance, right? Yep. So yeah, Uh, it was like.
0: Parkinson's was kicking his ass, so he didn't get to uh, do the whole role that was uh, put in for him. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just Parkinson's. He was also getting uh, knocked around by emphysema as well. Oh dear so lord! So he was only able to put in two scenes, and uh, you know he really, like, he, he really felt the love and appreciation from Tim Burton. So he would, you know, that he gave everything he had to be in those scenes, and that he really wanted to do more. But you know, his body was just given out, and
1: yeah. Well, I mean, glad we got him for even the time, the short time we did get him in that movie, you know? So, yeah.
0: Although shortly before his death, he said that one of his favorite roles was the voice of Professor Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective from 1986, especially since two songs had been written for him.
2: That's Um, awesome. How, his, his daughter wrote stuff about him, uh, I, I think, speaks about him on YouTube. Did he ever say why he chose to do horror films?
0: Uh, I, no, I've looked up a lot of stuff, and I don't think it was really so much a choice. I think he did so many uh, different uh, roles, like leading man, villain, cad, uh, neighbor. He was just he loved acting so much. He was just down to do anything. And when horror came along, uh, because of his, because of his height, his voice and his frame, he just, it just it resonated with fans. And he was able to hear from that. And, uh, I, he didn't like choose horror. Cause you know, one of his last films was, a a movie called like the whales of August, which is some just lame mid eighties, uh, slice of life thing so he didn't turn down any roles so it's not that he specialized in horror he just really shined like a diamond when he did horror but he would do anything that was given to him because you know he was a man that just uh that just dived into life that's great.
1: It's a terrific. Story. Very nice. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think in horror too, he had an edge because he could combine some of his other talents into it. Like you know, he could inject even a little bit of his, a little bit of his like comedic background into it as well. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he had such range for sure, and yeah, he brought a lot of that into horror. You know.
0: Well, just to show how much of a how much of a, a personality he had. When uh, he and Peter Laurie went to uh, Bella Lugosi's funeral, when uh, Laurie uh, <clears throat> Laurie, upon seeing uh, Lugosi dressed in his Dracula cape, uh, he looked to Vincent and he said, "Do you think we should put a stake through him just to be sure?"
2: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's that's a riot.
0: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's.
1: That's a very, you know, I like that it's very, it's kind of wholesome in a way, you know, just help, uh, I don't know, help ease the tension with a good laugh. You know, I can imagine in a moment like that, that can be just what people need to hear, you know. Very nice.
0: When Peter Cushing died, uh, you know, he was consoling Christopher Lee and he goes, uh, well, at least he's with his wife now. And Vincent Price says, oh, but what if she's out at the time?
2: Oh, oh boy. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) So, you know, he he was always uh, like a morbid, joyful little guy.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, he would often attend showings of his films, but he would be in costume so he could play pranks on the moviegoers. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. He brought the William Castle experience around with him. Oh, yeah, that's wow.
2: fun. Yeah, the William Castles was very, a lot of
0: fun.
1: Wow, that's so, Weird Al wasn't the first guy to do stuff like that then.
0: Yeah. So, Price and Christopher Lee were born the same day, May 27th. Peter Cushing was born May 26th. And, you know, they're all through horror legends. Uh, yep. They've all appeared together in Scream and Scream Again and House of the Long Shadows. Which are movies that uh, absolutely must be covered on this show at some point because I mean, you, you you've got the unholy trinity all working together that that can be ignored. I've I've never seen these movies, and that will be amended.
1: Yes, <laughs> oh, I have heard of lucky. this film, and uh-huh. it's just like you got the titans duking it
0: out in this one. You know, yeah. and in 1964, at the request of a personal friend, he narrated a brief history of Tombstone, Arizona titled Tombstone, The Town Too Tough to Die, for use in the diorama at the site of the OK Corral gunfight. He reportedly recorded the 20-minute piece in a single take at a recording studio in Hollywood, and when asked about his fee, uh, the owner of the exhibit just said, uh, Vinny made me buy him lunch. (laughs) Oh, boy. And Price never visited Tombstone, but his narration is still used to this day, in the diorama for tours. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, that's really
1: cool. I mean, it's just that got that iconic voice.
0: Yeah. And here's a, here's a little uh, thing about him. He was originally he, he, cause he grew up in a very conservative home. He was originally anti-Semitic and he looked upon the rise of Hitler with great interest and hope. But As he said later on, I was fortunate enough to meet many people of uh, liberal lifestyles, and I quickly gave up my conservative ways. He was uh, partly blacklisted during the Red Scare of the 1950s because of the anti-Nazi and the pro-communist views that he began expressing in the late 1930s. And in a desperate gesture, he had to sign a secret oath that uh, saved his career. His uh, daughter found a letter that he wrote to the House Committee on Un-American Activities in 1954, disavowing communist sympathies and proclaiming that witnesses who plead the fifth were un-American. Uh, you know, he had his career to consider and he had to lick some boots to get by.
2: Well, of course, hey, you got yeah. it. It was a crazy time. So for, yeah. for us to to uh, give us our, our opinion on what happened then is crazy because we, we weren't there.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, because, you know, the, the the reach and the terror of, you know, conservative c- capitalism, patriotism, nationalism, just going rampant. And it's just like, you know what? You have to love America. It's like, I love it, but it's got problems. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. It's got problems? That sounds like a communist. It's like, n- no, I, I just said it's, it, I, I mean, if I'm saying it's got problems, I'm saying it should be fixed. What were we so you're saying? It's not perfect right now yeah M- maybe <laughs> but it not have you know been what, an
1: easy position to be in you know to be yeah. in that spot like your livelihood is now put on the line just for you know and, and especially for some, with
0: no recourse
1: yeah for sure
0: uh, he did make up for it though uh he did he did double down by standing up to bigotry in his later years when he was more established and you know he you know he built up a, a career that could that could take some lumps and uh he did stand he he made up he made up he made up for his past uh by standing up for the freedoms of individuals and uh standing up against oppressive viewpoints and demagogues and uh you know well like the last the uh, bit uh, <clears throat> uh the last bit of big trivia was when his daughter came out he admitted to her that uh uh, you know, his own sexuality was a difficult thing for him to face during his first two marriages because his wives were not as pleased to find out that their, hus- that their husband was just as interested in men as they were. Because, yeah, turns out he was bisexual as all hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently and, he had some very, he had some juicy affairs, huh?
0: Yeah, a- and his wife, the one he grew old with, wrote cookbooks with. And was like so ridiculously sweet with same. She it was basically a lavender marriage. Like like they, they enjoyed each other, but they also enjoyed playing on the same teams. And uh, they were basically the queer power couple of the seventies and eighties. His uh, daughter.
2: I, I, no, you always learn something new when you're on the Mike King graveyard shift. <laughs> oh,
0: his daughter. Yeah, his daughter Victoria grew up around Rock Hudson and other members of the LGBT community. And when she came out, not only did Vincent Price say that he was going to stand by her and support her, he backed it up with action. He became a board member of PFLAG, and he was the most awesome and accepting dad. And uh, not only that, it also encouraged him to be a bit more, uh, to stand up for like other gay people as well, when he played uh, Oscar Wilde in a one-man play. And it was... uh, it was shat upon by anti-gay activist Anita Bryant, but he was ready to slam her right back saying that Oscar Wilde already came up with a, with a story about her, a woman of no importance. Oh (laughs) boy. Because Vincent Price was deliciously witty and an awesome person, a gem of an actor and an absolutely positively supportive, loving, welcoming human being.
1: Very absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody. He's one of those guys. I don't think you can out diss Vincent Price. You know, if you're still alive, you know, in his prime, nah. There, there's no roast in this man. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in terms of sheer goodness, he's he's like Mister Rogers, but also, but but like if Mister Rogers dared to uh, to clap back with the force of a thousand exploding suns. <laughs> yeah. In a scathing like- rebuke.
1: Yeah, like, could you imagine a Comedy Central roast of Vincent Price? You know, everybody having their shots at him, but then when he gets to have his shot on everybody. (laughs) He just cracks
0: his knuckles, and he's like, all right, bitches. (laughs) Okay, bitches, it's my turn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's just sitting there the whole time, just nodding, just chuckling a little bit, and then he's just like, okay, here we go.
0: (laughs) I hope you had fun, (laughs) (laughs) because... All right. Uh, It's time to pay the price. (laughs) Yes. Very good. The price
1: is wrong, (laughs) bitch.
0: (laughs) Oh, and one final little, uh, micro tidbit. Uh, the last film he saw in cinemas was Aladdin and he said he enjoyed it, but, uh, he was a little sad because he predicted that his yet to be released film, the thief and the cobbler, which he recorded his lines for back in the mid seventies, but it was, but it was unreleased by the time he had died. And, uh, He he was a little sad after Aladdin came out because he was worried if The Thief and the Cobbler ever did come out, some people would draw unfavorable comparisons to it. Wow. And it was finally eventually released in 1994. Like, if you ever saw The Thief and the Cobbler, there's like a version of it that is uh, free of all like the interference and all that. And is like the most original version of it. And for a 1970s cartoon, it is very, very well animated like it, like it will seamlessly transition where people will seem to have like rubber bodies and then the world becomes like a roller coaster it looks like a drug trip
2: oh my god
0: and it is a, a very unique movie uh, and and it's really sad that the public release that it eventually got in theaters was very altered like they did like 30 years of of alterations to it which almost ruined the plot cuz uh, apparently, in the original version, the main character doesn't even speak, but he's got like a voice, so they had to like fake lip flaps on him to so that it justifies him talking. It's uh, it's, it's so sad, of course. Vincent Price's lines were great because he was basically the Jafar in this, like he was the royal vizier that was like a scheming bastard, yeah. So, uh yeah, if you can find like some of the the original version of The Thief and the Cobbler, it's a very... To, to, to consider how all the animation is hand-drawn, it looks almost more CGI than a lot of movies today.
2: Oh, my God.
0: It, it was so trippy to see that all of this was handmade.
1: <laughs> Man, That's
0: yeah. Terrific. So, now we can get on with the movie, and we <laughs> start with me. And I have to say I like the introduction because we get to see like a knife moving on its own, cutting through fabric to reveal the credits. It's pretty darn cool. And the opening scroll that the Horlo will make of man what man has done to ox and cattle, become his chattel, his slave and his food. <laughs> Very menacing. Oh, yes. yeah. It was uh, good-
2: I had no idea what they were talking about. I did not know what the hell was going on
0: yeah all right. Yeah so Dave, what was your first good?
2: My first good of the movie? Yeah. when it ended. <laughs> <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not a fan. That, that, that was my first good <laughs> I, I, it, 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 it's because I guess I'm jaded of movies today. So when I see and I don't want to use the word schlock or or whatever, you call it for that time period but it's showing that the green light over his eyes and the chair falling down and the maybe at that time it was scary for those those audiences but it's
0: It's, i i don't know what the time i'm i'm waiting it's it's not great
1: (laughs) it it, it comes off more like you know with this kind of like when we look at it now it it feels more like a slapstick comedy in a lot of ways you know
2: I don't I mean, yes, I mean, even movies, I guess, from the 40s or Alfred Hitchcock movies still hold up with suspense today. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to use the word schlag. It's a cheap uh, horror movie. Uh, the acting, as you said earlier in this uh, podcast, the actors, they one guy says a line, the next guy says a line. Nobody's listening to the actors. They're just saying lines. At least to me, that's what it looked like. Just saying lines.
0: Yeah. I, yeah i I've said it before it's a it's it's a graveyard shift exclusive term white people talking in rooms <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good example um it, you know in in this movie really doesn't have like it's it's like a monster like like the antagonist the monster or whatever in this like you don't even see it you know it's extremely minimalist and so yeah I mean most of it is just scenes of people sitting in a room just talking and you know
0: it's just strings pulling shit
1: sure and you know if if vincent price like one of these titans wasn't in this movie oh i would be asleep because i i at least i I at least got to give credit to vinny because he he can he can hold a scene well um I, i will tune in to listen to him but Or, you know, somebody like Christopher Lee, somebody who has that commanding presence. But, you know, a lot of the other performances, it's...
0: I'm surprised he didn't get a hernia from carrying this movie.
1: Oh, you're terrific. No kidding. I mean, and, and, you know, he has some good scenes in it, you know. And he's so good at doing his scenes even just by himself, you know. He's so good at fighting himself in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um yeah, some of the best scenes are when he's not with another person. and he's just he's showing tear or anger or just, you know he he always is having like a psychotic breakdown of sorts. and it's it's just a scene all just centered on him. There's not even any other actors in it. And that's where he does some of his best stuff, you know
2: I mean the storyline the 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 girl's married to the guy, then she needs the money, so she goes to Vincent price to he's gonna do artwork on her. And he says, You want to get married? He says, Yeah, sure, let's go. The whole thing doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's called Trading Up. <laughs> oh, is that right.
2: what it
0: is? Yeah. I mean, marrying an artist is okay because, you know, if you like a relationship with love. But then Vincent came along and he's like, What about love and money? And she's <laughs> like, Fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's called it's-
2: Trading Up. I never, that's good. I never heard That's it. good. It's called <laughs> Trading Up.
1: Yeah. Well, she's framed kind of earlier on in the movie that, you know, obviously that is more of her prerogative. I mean, she's even with this guy, Paul, cause she's hoping he's going to make it big as an artist so that, you know, he can, yeah, she was investing her. in
0: the future. And then she's just like, wait a second, all my dividends are paying off now.
1: Yeah. He was like, <laughs> yeah, she was, you know, she was upset that, you know, that, that, you know, money is tight right now. And she, and he can't lavish her with gifts like he was doing, I guess, previously. You know, as they were hinting when they were, you know, that first conversation between Paul and Odette—is their name? Yes. Yeah. Pretty. So, so, the
2: actress, pretty. Do you know who the actress is?
1: Oh, it was. Oh, hold on. Was it Nancy Odette Kovac? Was
0: Nancy Kovac?
1: Yes. Oh, and she was. She was quite lovely. Yes.
0: What, oh yeah, it, she was a stunner. It,
1: but did mm-hmm. she do a
2: lot of movies at that time?
1: Oh, she's been in a number of things. I was looking over at her pages. They weren't.
0: Well, she uh, was a model. She was one of the glee girls for Jackie Gleason.
1: Yes. That's what I was about to say there. Um, and there was. Hmm.
0: She was also in an episode of Batman. Oh, I Dream of in- Jeannie, Get Smart, Perry Mason, 12 o'clock, Man, of, yeah. Man from Uncle. She was oh in
1: Bewitched God. in a few episodes. Well, she appeared five times on the situation comedy Bewitched. She
0: was the uh, the high she was the high priestess Medea from Jason and the Argonauts. Oh,
1: oh holy cow! Okay, wow! Well, I did not realize that was her. Yeah,
0: she's yeah. pretty. Yeah, she was in uh, the Three Stooges movie Sylvia. Oh wait, The Outlaws is coming. That was the oh. Three Stooges. <laughs> She, she was, was in, in The Sylvia. Outlaws is
2: coming? Holy cow.
0: Yep, oh, she, she was the in lead?
2: She was the lead in The Outlaws is coming?
0: I don't know about the lead. Uh, I just know she was in it. The Great Sioux Massacre, The Silencers, Tarzan in the Valley of Gold.
2: All right, very nice.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit, still alive. The Age of 88.
2: Oh my god, look at that.
0: Oh cool. Yeah.
2: Well, that's great.
0: So it says that she married the Indian conductor Zubin Mehta, who was music director at the LA Philharmonic. They spent uh, some months of the year in Munich, Germany. Uh, Susan McDougal worked as Kovac's personal assistant in the early 1990s. After the employment ended, Kovac took legal action against McDougal for alleged embezzlement. McDougal was acquitted on all 12 charges. A suit by McDougal for malicious prosecution ended in a settlement. So shitty boss and uh, for some reason uh, she's a christian scientist oh
2: my God. All right. so she gave up show business
0: oh uh, yeah she retired in 1976 uh, With, so uh,
2: her, all those tv shows she was in then retires
0: well i guess she wanted to quit while she was still married to a music director for the philharmonic
1: right.
0: i guess it's still i guess it's still money
1: all right, You know, maybe got your fill, got your fulfillment. <laughs> All right.
0: Very yeah. nice. <laughs> so, John, what's your first uh, what's your first good?
1: Uh, well, I'm always someone who likes, you know, cool settings or well, cool set pieces. And I think, uh, you know, the magistrate's house is pretty cool in this one. I mean, obviously, he's rich. Um, he's got a nice Lush mansion. Digs. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, you know, yeah, he's got a nice house. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. He has that attic space up there for his art. Um, I, you know, I, I just enjoy the set pieces that a lot of the scenes were set in. Um, I, I you know, I guess if anything, it's like any time I think of a Vincent Price movie, it's like, he's got to be in a mansion of sorts, you
0: know? <laughs> he's six foot three. He's got to be in a big place no matter where he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think about too, like, you know, the,
1: the aspect ratio they ought to consider to make sure, you know, he. You know, they get him all in the shot. You know, <laughs> he's an imposing guy. You know,
0: yeah. Um, well, plus like he, he, looks so fucking sophisticated with that stash. Yes.
1: Oh, for sure.
2: <laughs> the stash? the the mustache.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he looks very aristocratic, and you know, it's a, and you know, he's fitting in this role, and you know, the the the. The set piece I guess they used for the house. I, I'm guessing it was just all a studio set. They didn't actually use a house for this one. Um I don't know. It looks good. It complements um, what his character is supposed to be. You know, um, I think it works. Um, uh, you know, even just the little scenes in the offices and all that are they yeah, they look good. They're they're detailed enough.
2: Yes, uh, yeah. I agree. I agree with that, yes.
0: So uh my two mini goods are uh, Odette's head and the plaster. You're nice right. little reveal.
1: Oh, yes. yeah, that was that was like that was gonna be something I ripped down as well. I thought that was a cool little. I liked how they did that whole concept. There it was a cool effect.
0: Yeah, and uh, one thing that uh, I, I guess I put down as a good, uh, mostly because it made me laugh more than it was actually good, <laughs> was that uh, Paul's grieving process is pretty quick.
1: dude right oh my gosh yeah it it is just i mean it's it's instantly forgotten you know (laughs) what what is actually going on um it just kind of jumps right and i feel like some a lot of movies around this time period seem to do this too it's just there's a (laughs) there's like a little bit of acknowledgement and then the next scene just completely just They just put it in the background at that point. You know?
2: That's funny.
0: <laughs> so, uh Dave, no more goods?
2: <laughs> All right. So I agree with you, the good having the, the head there with the, with the plaster. But it, when he when he kills her in the movie, it doesn't show him cutting off his head. So I thought, what are they talking th- about? He's in the newspaper. The head's gone. I thought, who did that? <laughs> you know, they, they don't make any reference to him. Cutting, he stabs her, runs away, and then it's the newspaper, and her head's gone. I don't I don't know what the hell is going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, weird continuity there or weird lack continuity. Thereof. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, I guess real transition, not much of a yeah, look how like you just stabbed her and he's like, damn, you like cut her head off and everything. Like
2: <laughs> where did that come from?
1: I mean, honestly, I was like, this is god, this got a lot darker than i was thinking it was going to be i mean cuz for a movie that's mostly tame and then also like oh her head got chopped off damn okay <laughs> this is before uh this is when they still had the haze code going on right
0: <laughs> oh, yeah my. that was still kicking
1: yeah
2: when did when did that finish the haze code
1: Uh, in well, Hays... the 60s right yeah cuz yeah when we were doing psycho i think psycho was one of those movies that was kind of the first ones that was kind of about to break through that you know Uh, in
0: 1963 the MPAA president Eric Johnson died settling setting a three year period marked by a power struggle between two factions which led to an erratic application of the code finally the liberal faction prevailed by 1966 installing Jack Valenti as the association's new head the chaos of the interim period had rendered enforcement impossible and Valenti an opponent of the production code began working on a rating system under which film restrictions would lessen. In 1966, Warner Brothers released Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the first film to feature the suggested for mature audiences label. And uh, he... there was some censorship garbage, but uh, basically by 1966, it was uh, dead. Uh, so uh, they had the rating system for like uh, G, P, G, M, and X. Right.
2: So, so, so the rating system didn't start till 1966?
0: Uh, it didn't go into effect until 1968, it, but, you know, they began uh, starting it. Like okay, uh, Virginia Woolf was released in 66 with a suggested for mature audiences label, but uh, the MP rating system wouldn't go into effect until November 1st, 1968. With G for general audiences, M meaning mature, R for restricted, and X for people under 16 would not be admitted at all.
2: Right. Okay. I remember all those ratings. I remember all that. PG and GP and them and R. Yes, I remember all yeah, that.
0: PG, PG 13, NC 17. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: Do they still have ratings? There's no ratings today, is there? Movies rated R? I,
0: I, I think it is. It doesn't apply to me, so I don't notice, but probably.
2: Uh, because you know so what? One of those. Streaming sites, there's so many movies. On, I mean, I, I don't see, I mean, I used to see them in newspapers. Now they're not in newspapers anymore.
0: Yeah, it's pretty hard to put a rating system on anything when streaming exists. Yeah. Because, you know, they can just get it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, there, there's less of uh, people going into, you know, theaters physically and with, you know, people coming in and bringing you know, their families, you know, that's, there, there's less of that consideration. Cause you know, at home it, it's, um, you know, I guess at home you can always put on parental blocks or, well, most time kids are just going to see it anyways.
0: Oh yeah. My, 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 uh, nephew who was like eight years old asked if we were going to watch terrifier and I'm like, no, because you're, <laughs> you're way too young. And he goes, yeah. Oh, I already saw it. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> Netflix. Jeez. Is like, he's something? eight. And you saw Terror Fire. And I'm like, that Ooh. has a naked. Okay. Dave, if you haven't seen Terror Fire, this movie has a naked woman cut in half with a chainsaw. Very nice. And my eight year old nephew just saw it on Netflix. And I'm like, God damn it. Isn't that wow? Something? He, think yeah. so.
1: He's already worlds beyond me, man. I, I thought, because I was about the same age age when i first saw the first scream movie and you know that was a big deal for me watching like drew barrymore get like gutted and then she was hanging from the tree and everything <laughs> um and now that was a lot for me because that was before i was really initiated into horror Um uh, but damn yeah terrifier that's damn, yeah that, that's like that real is, heavy shit like yeah I, I yeah if i had seen that around eight years old that that was that probably a point i, I would have been traumatized you know i hadn't i hadn't got to that point where i was desensitized yet that would have been the movie though that would have been the process of desensitizing me
0: he's the same nephew that when i tried to watch never ending story with him and i told him like oh there's a very sad scene in it and and then like it shows the scene where the horse goes into the swamp and dies and and he's like oh is that the scene that you were telling me about and i'm like Why do you have to ask? We we just saw a boy watch his horse die, and the boy's crying. Why aren't you sad? And he's like, "Well, the horse just showed up. We didn't even get to. We didn't even have time to like it, and then it just died. Like, why would I care?" I'm like, "Oh my god, he's a little psychopath."
1: (laughs) Psychopath. Yeah, well, it's well, it's just, he's just—he's a horse. It's an animal, okay? It's like—it's his companion. What do you mean? What do you mean you didn't get time oh, to boy. like him? <laughs> that, that that was his best friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you? Yeah, like, what are you a psychopath? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that—that that was something. Like, I remember that as a little kid too. That—that that was like traumatized me as well. I'm like, yeah, because you have
0: empathy, but not him. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> Like, it's fucking stupid. (laughs) He's like, uh, big deal. The horse just showed up. It's not like like I saw him do anything cool or impressive before he died. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh yeah, that's where life
1: gets value. (laughs) Yeah, right. God, that horse is so entitled.
0: (laughs) 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 Mm. What's that horse got to be sad about anyway? Yeah, right. right. So uh uh, back to you John what's your next uh what's your next good
1: mm, Well I guess I could say I, I was going to comment there on the uh, yeah on the the sculpture of her head there but uh well I guess he seems to I I, I guess in context of the film um uh, seems to have some pretty good artistic ability I know it's not actually Price doing the sculpting himself but I mean, he seems to—I uh, don't know—the sculptures and all that and the art looked good. Uh, at least yeah. give it credit there. Um, yeah, you know, at least like if for something that's supposed to represent good art, eh, it looked genuinely good.
0: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, my my final good is uh, him outsmarting the Horla.
2: Oh, three okay. Very good. Yes, Morton.
0: Yeah, like this is supposed to be a demon that's been around for like centuries, and the, this mortal, like this thing should be, this thing should be ahead of everyone. Like he should be so used to humans and and their crafty, conniving, inventive little ways that he, that he that he'd have all his angles covered. But no, he got he got sloppy. He figured <laughs> he figured I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't nobody's going to sneak up on me. And Vincent Price is just like, well, you haven't crossed paths with me, fucker. <laughs> is that what he's right? Saying? <laughs> <laughs> boy, I wish
1: he's going to pay oh, the price, boy. you know, um, <laughs> it's time to pay the price. Right. Um, yeah. You know, actually, okay. The, the last thing that comes to mind, I guess if I can list as a good is, uh, you know, I like the, his him as a character being motivated by I mean, even though he is a magistrate, having that genuine curiosity to try to understand the psychology of the people that he's imprisoning and sentencing and trying to get a deeper understanding, you know, as opposed to like the police officers just saying, oh, well, you're just born criminals and all that, you know, <laughs> uh, the fact that he he seems to curiosity, that could start to become into empathy. Like in a way, it's a mindset that you could tell it's like the early predecessor that could lead to some like criminal justice reform. So I I don't know. I think in that discussion that he's often having with his, um, I guess with the police inspector, uh, you know, I, I like where I guess he falls on the philosophical divide there, you know, just that, general curiosity has i mean obviously it seems like someone's still done bad things but um you know it is he's, he's taken that first step you know to try to not just hand wave things and look at it all as black and white if that makes sense you know
0: he was a very empathetic character and a yes. sympathetic character because he actually cared about you know the criminal element like what makes them that way? Could they be unmade? Is there something that we can do to stop these these tendencies from arising in people?
1: Sure, yeah. I think he has. He wants to know more because he thinks, hey, maybe there's a better way we could do this. So.
0: And the police inspector is just like, wait, wait, wait. You want to stop people from committing crimes? Then I would need more excuses. To, <laughs> I would need excuses to hang them then. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why, um, why are you taking away the fun part of my job? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the, 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 the cop, or the the head uh, police guy, he looked familiar also. Did you know who he was, or other movies he was in? Hmm.
0: The police chief was, uh, the captain was Stephen Roberts.
1: Stephen okay. Roberts, so... Well, uh, yeah, he was in Julius Caesar.
2: Oh, my God, there you go, look at that. All right, and so
1: there... First to fight... He played Dardanius in Julius Caesar in 1953. Uh, he played FDR in this movie called First to Fight in 1967.
2: Hmm. So there, there are probably studio character actors that were contracted by the studio. And, and just giving gigs, given jobs because they're a part of the studio system.
0: Yeah, hey, that probably makes sense. He played sense. FDR in a TV movie called Enola Gay, The Men, The Mission, and The Atomic Bomb.
1: Wow. So he's that? played FDR twice,
0: huh? Yeah, he was also in Ring of Passion playing FDR. He was in Ike, a TV miniseries, playing FDR, The Long Days of Summer. Whoa, well, take a take shit. a wild guess. Take a wild guess who he played. <laughs> uh, FDR?
1: Yep. Yeah. Wow. All right, looks like... <laughs> I'm looking over here. He played the president in the original Mission Impossible series in one episode. I wonder episode. which fucking
0: president. <laughs> I know,
1: right? Yeah, what is it? One episode in the 1972 run of it. Oh, he's in, oh, he played General Brody. He was uncredited, but in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Cool.
2: Oh, that, that, that guy who played the cob was in Escape from the Planet of the Apes?
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So uh, Escape from the Planet, that was the second one if I recall correctly.
0: Um yes, Escape, yeah. or Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Yeah,
1: I think that was the second.
0: Uh, no, it was the third one because that's oh. the one where uh uh the, the chimpanzees go back in time and uh, show up in the uh, the 70s in a, a <laughs> spacecraft. Yeah. Ah, okay. that's the one where they drop in the ocean in the pod and they're like oh is this our astronauts and then they take off the thing and it's like fuck it's apes
2: <laughs> isn't that great
0: yeah. yeah oh guess what he was in a movie from the 1960 from 1967 first to fight guess who he fucking no you're not you know what you don't even have to guess it's fucking FDR again <laughs> what going on?
1: a lot of movies God, talk FDR. about being talk about being typecast you know <laughs> just like yeah hey, we got one role for you all right? <laughs> hey, man, we right? need, it's like yeah we need an fdr in here
0: it's a shame he died uh in 1999 because when they made the movie fdr american badass he definitely would have been a shoe in <laughs> like I've only, I've only played the role eight times that is so funny Well, good for him they had to settle for barry bostwick instead Wow. Barry Bostwick played FDR? Yeah, uh, FDR American Badass. He basically plays FDR who uh, uh, fights werewolf Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a, it's, an, it's an insane movie, but it's definitely it's it has no right being as genuinely funny as it does. <laughs> Although it does have some eye-rolling stupidity moments in it, yes. for the most part, most of the jokes really land. It's really funny because it shows like Hitler is a werewolf because oh, like wow. all the Nazis are werewolves, and uh, uh, he's calling up Mussolini, who's also a werewolf, <laughs> and uh, he's asking like if the, if the if the assassin they sent after FDR uh, got him, and it says no 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 he only bit him. He only bit him uh, on on the foot, so the polio only spread to his legs.
1: Oh,
2: this this actually got made.
0: Yes, it's a movie. FDR, American badass.
2: This is look, crazy.
0: Look it up; it's insane. Uh, uh, Hercules <laughs> Kevin Sorbo plays Abraham Lincoln in a uh, in a marijuana fever dream. what is going on it's it's wild like Kevin Sorbo is a piece of shit as a human being in real life but (laughs) he was he nailed he he was good in this in this role
2: okay did you see did you meet Kevin Sorbo in these uh, conventions
0: no 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 he's just like a shitty person in real life because he's Uh. like big into conspiracy theories and awful awful anti-human rights stuff Really?
1: Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, he, he,
0: he's a, he's a bad man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he's been in all those. He's been in all those like God's not dead movies and just the the, the kind of all the
0: Yeah, the lawyer that proves God isn't dead. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so he's just an absentee father. Great.
1: Yeah, those all those weird evangelical Christian movies.
0: I yeah, had I no idea. A, I think it was in like wasn't it. he in a left behind or something? Uh no, that was Nick Cage. What's that but, Nick? He was in one of them, but uh, he was definitely in like a lot of those like Hallmark evangelical things. And also like he just has like terrible views on human rights and stuff. He's 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 a shitty man. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) okay. Enough about the bads of him. Let's get to the (laughs) bads on this movie. All right. So, Dave, as our our esteemed guest, what's your first bad on this?
2: The whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Concise. I mean, yeah, the, the 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 I mean, yeah, Vincent Price is always great, but uh, I mean, the acting is so stiff, and the 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 green lights on his eyes and yeah, that was fucking bad. The chair falling mm-hmm. down, I mean, it's just so hard, ho- just so horrible. The whole thing's horrible. That's it's all. There's nothing you, scary. There's just
0: get they, the special they, they, effects team from War of the Worlds. Let them handle the lights. They would have done a much better job. <laughs>
2: The War of the Worlds was good, even today. I mean, I find it very entertaining.
0: So do I. I mean, we reviewed it uh, recently. for, Well, recently, like the show's been on for like five or six years. Uh, we recovered it on this podcast. And I say, like, for a 58 movie, it still holds up to this day as a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Gene, Gene Barry, correct?
0: Yeah. Gene Barry. Uh, forget who played the woman. Uh, did you ever see the uh, the sequel TV series? War of the oh. Worlds. Yes, the movie had a TV sequel that took place 30 years later. It was uh, in the 1980s, and it shows like the corpses of the aliens being uh, uh, resurrected by uh, by atomic waste. So it it manages to fight off the microbes that uh, killed them. Turns out he just put them in a coma, and then they have then they're able to uh, get into bodies, human bodies, to a temporarily. Uh, uh, escape the damaging effects of the, the radiation and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. and it even has like in, uh, either the first episode or in a, in a couple of episodes, it even has the actual actress who played Sylvia in the 58 movie, oh, uh, yeah. like escaping from the aliens. Cause they're trying to get revenge on her for, for stuff that she had done. And they end up actually like, uh, uh, raising one of their, uh, their warships. And, uh, a great episode because you think like, how are you going to defeat like a laser beam? So they create a reflector dish that reflects its, the, 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 the ship's own blaster back at it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Good for them, Good for the yeah, writers. Yeah, it lasted three seasons. So uh, it, it was a very, very good series. I remember uh, enjoying it. It, it stayed tr- true to the fact, like the continuity of the movie. Like 30 years later, it was a, uh, it was pretty good. Very nice.
2: All right. <laughs>
0: so, uh, well, it's concise uh, criticism. Uh, John, what's your first bad?
1: Uh, well, I guess to start with a small bad, it's actually kind of a good and a bad. I guess something I forgot to mention, but I'll just say it as a bad. Uh, for one, it, you know, it's a little refreshing to see Vincent Price be like warm, like he's very sweet when he interacts with his bird. Um, but then out of euphemism. Very <laughs> good. Uh, but, yep, uh, you know, he ends up killing the bird. And, you know, it's it's just I don't know. Animals are always just used as these pawns to instigate somebody doing something bad. Oh yeah, it
0: it it even has a name like kick the cat, kick the kick the puppy. Yeah, and or kill the puppy. (laughs) Depending. Yeah, you gotta kick kick the puppy is for the Saturday morning cartoon villains who are just like I'll take over the world, (laughs) and then kill the puppy is like what if Cobra Commander just like instead of kicking a dog off a curb, he just like put his foot on its throat and just watched the light leave its eyes.
1: Oh jeez. Yeah. So just I mean, to it's, let you
0: know, I'm not bad. I'm fucking evil.
1: Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> and I mean, hey, this is a
1: I, I get it. It's like kind of a tr- like it's a writing plot device, a trick of sorts. Um, I mean, heck, they they've carried it all. Like, I mean, that Michael was Myers the jo- killed
0: a dog, didn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean, show- oh, yeah. No, they actually did show that one. Yeah. For a second. Because I oh, no, he ate a dog, too. He killed a dog and he ate a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't show the dog that he ate, but you know, it was the, the one they found up there in the Myers house.
0: I mean, <laughs> that would be great if he had like a Vincent Price cookbook.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, you got to now Jeez. you got like
0: now you have 10 pounds of meat. Now rub some salt in it for flavor. <laughs> we'll get right. a nice rub going on,
1: right? You know, <laughs> and um, well, and, you know, this is the thing that like they literally based the whole. It was the whole instigating event in John Wick, the first John Wick movie. You know, it's just hey, well, yeah. not just I to haven't really even drive seen home. that.
0: But I know, like, yeah, the, his dog's death is what really kicks him off.
1: Yeah, and it's it's perfect for because it worked for me. I think it's just there to piss the audience off enough to where it's like you want to see all these bad guys die. You know, uh, there's no redeeming them at this point. Um, yeah, you know. It, I, you know, it's petty, but, you know, I'm just, hey, I'm an animal lover. I just don't like to see animals die in movies, you know? It's like, why why do they got to bring the animals into it? They have no part in this human interaction. <laughs> they always innocent. have to be used. Yeah, they're innocent. They always have to be used as pawns to, you know, launch the plot, you know? Like, oh, well, then they escalate it because, like, always oh, killing animals, but then they got to escalate to killing humans. I was like, hey, you know what? It's just as bad, all right? Stop yeah. making a hierarchy, okay? It's wrong.
0: <laughs> that's um, that's why Bad Moon is such a good movie, because it's a werewolf versus a dog, but this dog is not here to fuck around. Yeah. Dude, when when this there, dog maybe. faced <laughs> off against the werewolf, he is protecting his family, he is the best boy, and he just takes this werewolf to fucking school. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. I, I so that, it, that movie's free on Tubi. So uh, you ever check it out sometime, Dave? Uh, Bad Moon. It was a mid '90s movie. It's yeah. a a dog realizes that uh, someone coming close to his family is a werewolf, and he gets a uh, full defensive protector mode going on. And it is great to see, like, as the wolf slowly takes over the man. How it's just like two dogs facing each other like for the right to 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 claim the family one to protect one to take oh my goodness all right it's an excellent movie although (laughs) in it it, to its detriment it does only at the end in into a a little cgi and it's really 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 bad but but it's only for like like a minute during a a transformation scene but the werewolf itself is not cgi like like 99.9 excellent uh physical props uh costumes all that stuff they only gave they only did like one scene where they thought yeah let's let's get the best cgi that the 90s can offer and i'm like dude that was that was jurassic park and this is not jurassic park (laughs) but yeah bad moon it, it, it's if you liked seeing like a monster versus dog and the dog isn't just immediately killed for uh dramatic effect, but the dog actually knows how to handle his shit. This, this is one of those things. Like if you're an animal lover and you want to see an animal actually fight a monster and, and kick some ass bad moods, a good movie.
2: Well, thank you for letting me know. I never heard of it. I don't know of it, but uh, I appreciate you letting
0: me know. Yeah. You can find it on Tubi for free. On so, Tubi. All right. Yep, no subscription, no nothing. You just get to the website, type the bad moon, you're there. So, uh, the first, good. Uh, we've already covered this. The glowing eyes is really fucking cheap. It's not like they even attempted to color each eye, but they just like shined like like those uh <laughs> like those eclipse sunglasses that you make people wear in, yeah. in the Arctic right. for uh yeah. for fighting the snow blindness. Yeah, they just shined a green light through that, aimed it on someone's face, and called it a day. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it
1: looked bad. It's very lazy.
0: Um, yeah. it, so, uh minute. So, my first uh, bad we haven't talked about is Paul and his jealousy. You, you, you know, if if you can't trust your beautiful wife not to cheat, then you know that's you know you kind of fail to win her heart.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's weird at, that he is just. He's too naive to see that she's totally not right for him anyways, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, he he batted way too high out of his league.
1: Yeah, and, you know, he's obviously not seeing all the, the red flags going on and how she basically is always complaining about money with him. And there's not really a lot of support on her end for... Well, I guess, you know, she models for stuff, but, I mean, it, it's... She doesn't really offer that kind of emotional support for him as he's trying to also, you know, um, you know, further his career (laughs) and all of that. Uh, Yeah, the the red flags are there. And well, and then just, you know, you obviously have this other person that's like um, pining for you and you're too blind to see that.
0: Yeah. What's your next bad?
1: Oh, uh, you know, I think the so the Horla itself. I think that's the <laughs> Horla. I don't like talk about cheap. Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. It's way too simplistic. It, it's for what I think. Okay, for one, I hate that you don't even really ever see anything of the Horla. It's it's a real convenient way to not like have any budget for a monster. I guess isn't that I know something? What, At least
0: Forbidden Planet, when they had their invisible monster, they revealed it at the end.
1: Yeah, it's not a good monster in any way. The other thing is too, like he talks way too normal for this fucking creature that's supposed to be from like another dimension. I I feel like he talks way too normal. You know,
0: well, that's a thing in the in the uh, production. They actually did want it to sound uh, uh, more demonic and distorted,
1: but the Uh. producer
0: wanted it to sound clear. And the director mm. thought it was a mistake.
1: Yeah, see, and yeah, I would agree with the director on here. I do think it, it was definitely a mistake. Because it's just nothing distinguishing about it. Um, though, interestingly enough, when I think more about this, I keep thinking this had to have been some inspiration for, like, Spider-Man 1, where, like, Willem Dafoe is sitting there talking to himself in the mirror, with the, talking to the goblin,
0: you know? <laughs>
1: and it's, like, even his... Um. His big mansion room, or whatever, where he's you know talking in the in, to his reflection, uh, you know, even resembles in some ways that you know the room over here that Vincent Price is in. Um, I don't know; it feels like that was a loose inspiration, but I don't know. Yeah, it's like the Horla as as a monster, as an antagonist, is it, just lame. I mean, it, and I'm not saying the idea in itself is terrible. I feel like this could be executed well, but in this one, it just. It, uh that and you know you you mentioned the green eyes. Um there there's just nothing that really stands out and and nothing memorable about this creature. Um Yeah, you know, it's just a disembodied voice. It, it, you know, there's there's no presence really to him. Um yeah, I think he's
0: trying, but fuck.
1: Yeah, I guess there's really nothing that makes him stand out from it just being like a normal poltergeist. Um Though I did think it was kind of cool, this shit that shot though, where you see the mannequin's facial features like change and all of that.
0: Yeah, as the horror uh, was messing around with it.
1: Yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool looking shot for what you know what they had to work with there. Um,
0: it almost but, it almost looked reminiscent to uh, Satan in that Mark Twain uh, claymation movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, it did actually have a lot of that. It reminded me of that. Um, I was always wondering what that was called because I, I remember seeing images of that. I was like, I was trying to figure who, what that movie was called, but it had like, yeah, like the devil coming out and like he's like growing
0: all the. It was out. called it's- "The Adventures of Mark Twain." Ah, huh, that is. That's yeah. So uh, if you want to see some really creepy shit, uh, Dave, yeah. "The Adventures of Mark Twain" is a claymation uh, movie from 1985, and the devil is fucking terrifying (laughs) yeah he starts off like unassuming because he's uh basically like a a headless suit of armor holding a one of those uh, dramatic theater masks yeah but then when he starts talking and as he starts to reveal his uh his personality more like at first he's a mysterious stranger but as it becomes clear who he is and what his uh what what his goals are the Mask becomes increasingly more distorted and Freddy Krueger-like. And, and he does some some nasty shit. Like, for yeah. a kid's movie, because this looks to be a kid's movie, and then there's just this scene where it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, you were watching this with kids? Well, now you're watching it with kids that are going to be wetting the bed tonight.
1: Oh, my, isn't that terrible? Yeah. Te- yeah, I, I I didn't even know what that movie was called. I just remember seeing that scene, and yeah, it stills in my mind it's just uncanny as shit and just creepy it's that it's that same sort of tear that like i i've talked before about like the movie Coraline. uh it has a lot of this callback to a um, just childhood type fear it's very monsters under the bed type of feel and sometimes that can be more powerful than just it being you know blood and guts you know
2: like when um, Steven Spielberg showed the shark. You know, we never saw the shark. For, how how do you know how many minutes into the
0: movie we didn't see the shark? Yeah, know. Um, I think it was near the end. Yeah, like it, was, <laughs> it was. always just like a quick cut of like, uh, uh of a like a part of uh, reaching in for a bite. Yeah, but we didn't even get to, we didn't get to see like all of what uh, Bruce was until he uh, he he fucks up the ship.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I know like some of it was like budget, but you know it. It ended up working out more for you know it made the film stronger i think yes um
0: and because they had the music to fall back on whenever whenever you want the idea of the shark to be around yeah. but you don't have the the animatronic in, in place
1: right and just like clever use of the camera and stuff you know even in like the opening scene when they're like you know coming up like swimming up under uh, the girl's legs and stuff just that yeah you know just cinema magic you know that's um,
2: because we're using our imagination and we, we create our own
1: fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, exactly. You know, it, it's, it supplants the idea there.
0: And uh, and the good yeah, acting I, for well, all the people who are being, like, nipped and and chomped. Yeah. And the music. I mean, y- the music cannot yes. be understated. You can try to use your imagination, but it is amplified. Or it's really <laughs> easy to use the imagination when that music is just... Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Is <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely bum, correct? Yep. That's how
2: cor- it was John Morris, correct? Who um, did the music?
0: Uh, I thought it was uh, the guy that did Star Wars.
2: Yeah, John, who, who was it? John that? Williams? Yes. John, John Williams.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, Steven
2: Spielberg used him a lot.
1: Yes, it is John Morris. Yeah. Yes,
2: yeah, John Williams.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely one of the best yeah, he, film composers yes. of all Absolutely time. Absolutely,
2: yes. He's great. Absolutely, yes.
1: Um, oh yeah, I was going to mention one thing over thing over about the Horla is, <laughs> it's just almost a what the fuck. But I'll I'll throw it out here as a bad. It's just I like how like the Horla, his way of intimidating. Uh, you know, Vincent Price and he just swings open the double glass doors. Like I don't know, just. Just right. as a way of like, oh, like he—it's not like he's doing it like he's ripping the door off and throwing. it. He just swings them <laughs> open. And that's just a way like, oh, well, that's how you're trying to intimidate me. This is like, I don't know. It's just more. Don't
0: you a- understand, mortal? None of your China is safe. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's just this guy's more of a more of a nuisance than anything else. Yeah,
0: he's not- basically a fucking cat. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> he'll just come out of nowhere. Maybe he'll trip you, knock you down the stairs.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. He'll sit,
0: a... sit on your chest while you're sleeping.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. He's a
2: cat. The Horla's a cat. Exactly. You
1: know, he yeah, definitely...
0: uh, you know, an asshole, it'll strike out of nowhere. And then, you know, you throw you throw your foot over the bed, trying to get out of bed, thinking like, well, I better make sure to plant my feet down quickly and firmly, or else he's going to think I'm putting a string in front of him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the Horla.
0: Horla la. <laughs> So uh, I guess we can uh, just bounce off some bads. Uh, Here's another bad. People just don't fucking date. Vincent Price is (laughs) like, I think I like you. She's like, I think I like you too. And he's like, so, marriage? Like, I'm pretty sure the term courtship existed. Yes. It wasn't (laughs) just, hey, I find your form pleasing. Move in with me, see we'll play.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's too
2: cockamamie.
1: Like, like, uh, well, you know, I mean, hey, I was uh, sculpting you the whole time. That was the courtship phase, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the it, writers it is, didn't put a lot into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we've gone to third base in my mind. So <laughs> let, let's just get let's just get our insurances connected, and there we go. There you go. You notice uh, my energy
2: level is is, is decreasing. Have you noticed from the start at 930 till now? Have <laughs> <laughs> you noticed... That my energy, my whatever I have, has slowly depleted.
0: <laughs> well, we're near, we're, near, we're near the end. Uh, the horror was really cheap as fuck in his brain in his brainwashing effect. When he goes to just like when he decides like that's it, I'm driving Vincent, and Vincent is. <laughs> Like, it's just that cheap. There's no, like, a sinister shadow crawling over, uh, being no. absorbed into the flesh or anything. It's just, oh, time to, time to be a meat puppet. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> uh, and, and Paul, again, Paul, for fuck's sakes, Paul. your cheating wife is dead, and you're macking on your friend in the cells. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, he moved right. No empathy
2: or sympathy, whatever you call it.
1: <laughs> hey, move yeah. right the fuck on. Yeah,
0: she, but, I mean, she is she is a cheating hoe, and a gold digger. Mm-hmm. But I mean, clearly there wasn't much love lost on your end.
1: Yeah, especially considering how much of a f- fuss he threw over her getting with Vincent Price. You know, in this, I mean, he's acting all like super jealous, and then like then he doesn't give a shit. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I have one final bad. Do you have any more bads, John? Uh,
1: No, not really. I I think I. I, I, But I on your bads, those are kind of bads for me too. I I agree with you on all those points. So I don't know if I have anything really new I can say.
0: Okay, my final bad is this fucking priest at the end when. When they're talking about, like, uh, the will and they're debating whether or not the story was true, the, the priest gives this stupid catch-all bullshit, like, where there is evil in men, the right. horror uh, lives. He didn't <laughs> like that. It's like, Well, no. It wasn't some metaphor. It, it wasn't yeah. some force about, like, you know, the darkness that lurks in all of us. It was a green, invisible, brainwashing demon, <laughs> and Vincent Price killed it.
1: Yeah, It died a, it, in
0: a fire. It does not live in men. It's yeah. dead. It's a this creature is, that died.
1: Yeah, this isn't an idea. It's an actual entity, okay? Yeah. Weren't
0: you watching the same movie with us? Yeah. You believe in an invisible savior and an invisible <laughs> warden of an everlasting inferno, but this is where your suspension of disbelief ends?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like this isn't a subjective thing, this is an objective thing. All right, yeah,
0: we're not talking about like the concept of evil. This is like a literal frigging demon that he killed. Yeah. We're safe, it's dead.
2: It was the 50s, so maybe they needed to have a
0: message. Oh, they always jammed that message, like War of the Worlds. Great movie, but what did they do at the last second, the literal last second, when they talk about the, the microbes killing the aliens? Which yeah. was from the H.G. Wells novel, but what H.G. Wells explicitly did not put in, but the 50s movie did because, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they everyone, everyone likes to make stories about how like the Jews are in Hollywood, but it was the Christians. Because, <laughs> because any movie from the 50s or the 40s, it just had the aliens being killed by microbes, and the narrator even says placed by God in his infinite wisdom. Like oh, H.G. Wells go. did not say that it was God. Like it's just microbes shit that exists. But this movie, and it's only the aliens, they only die after they blow out the windows of the church. Like that's when God decides to get involved.
1: <laughs>
0: so so yes. th- this is like this is my what the fuck. Now Jesus gets involved. Because when Vincent's walking down the street going to uh, stab someone, yeah, like we see the reflection from a cross right. stop him. It's like, this man gets corrupted. A demon is driving him around like a joyriding teenager. And this is when Jesus decides a reflection off a piece of bling in a storefront window is how he is going to manifest himself.
2: I did not even relate to that. I I saw the cross and I didn't relate to, I better not do this. I didn't even relate. I don't know why they showed the cross
0: (laughs) because they have to jam in that Jesus is everywhere in in, in these movies. And and that's always terrible because he's never answering demonic forces on the same scale. They are like, sorry, mortals, you're on your own. I'm Jesus, the all powerful, but I'm not going to save Reagan from barfing and floating above her bed. I am not going to stop pumpkin head from pulling one of my faithful out of a window in the cabin. Mm -hmm. I am, I am not going to straighten out Carrie's mom before her daughter goes to the prom because I have to angle a street light and a storefront tchotchke so I can snap Vincent price out of a murder fugue state so he can kill himself later because forcing this man to commit suicide is my divine will. And I definitely won't stop a Martian invasion. Unless they do something like blow the roof off of my house on Bleecker Street. Then I'm going to activate the microbes. Mysterious ways, bitches.
2: Everything you say is 100% accurate. Why,
0: thank you. Yes. So, does anyone else have any what-the-fucks?
1: Oh, man. Uh, Nah, I can't say I do. I guess it's just a kind of a what-the-fuck did I watch kind of movie.
2: <laughs> right. Correct. That is absolutely correct. I'm with Jim. John. <laughs> I'm, I, obviously, obviously, I'm
0: falling asleep.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Jimmy. You call me Jimmy John's. Right? Jimmy John. There you yeah. go. Jimmy John
0: sandwiches. <laughs> so now we can take it to the kill of the week. Odette realizing the cost of moving on up.
2: <laughs> oh, there you go. Moving on up. Okay.
0: Yeah, she's gone to that deluxe workshop in the sky. But
2: you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
0: So Dave, what's your kill? Uh
2: I I agree. Uh when Vincent Price has to die at the end because he killed people. So in, the bad guy always had to get it in the forties, thirties, fifties, the Hayes uh, yeah. you know, code. So so that that was my kill, the uh, when he had to get it at the end.
0: Yeah, Vincent thought he, Vincent outsmarted the Horla, but he also outsmarted himself. Yep. Because he didn't think I should bring an oven mitt so I can grab the (laughs) searing hot door of the room I'm going to set fire to from within.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. He didn't do the door test, you know, where you kind of feel like, you know, you feel the door with the back of your hands, how you can tell if like the room you're going to go in is also on fire. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Also, take off your shirt, wrap it around your hand, then you can grab the handle and turn it.
1: yeah right yeah it was kind of frustrating watching them, like struggle with that key i'm like come on man
0: jeez i'm not gonna die with my shirt off like some common worker <laughs> i'm a magistrate <laughs> right i have standards to uphold
1: yeah so
0: john what's your uh what's your good uh, kill of the week
1: oh kill the week so yeah we're I, i'll go with the, the i guess the most iconic kill of the movie which was odette's death um I mean, maybe not so much the kill itself, but I really did like the the sculpture scene where it was like her head and he had the the clay over it. That was cool.
0: Very, very reminiscent of House of Wax.
1: Yes. Um, And yeah, it was just that was a cool part. It was creative.
0: Yep. And uh, now for the rating, I'm going to give this two Horlas out of five. Terrific. it, it's a mid-horror as far as things go. It's pretty lackluster. Vincent bumps, bumps it up one point just with his swagger alone.
2: I agree with you, yes. He's great. So anything he's in, even though the picture stinks, but it's, he's great.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dave, your rating?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with you, too, because he's great.
0: And uh,
2: just him. My rating
1: is Vincent Price. That's my rating. Uh, Uh, The Price is right, right? Yeah. All right, John, your rating? Oh, yeah, I'll give this two and a half swinging double doors to intimidate people (laughs) out of five. Uh, Yeah, this isn't a very memorable movie uh, by any accord. Uh, You know, Vincent Price is in great form, though. You know, he could definitely command a scene even when he's the only person in it um so yeah i think he's the only real bolstering effect on this movie but yeah otherwise the you know otherwise it's not very memorable it's not a memorable monster most of the other actors are pretty flat in this um and yeah i don't know the writing seems a bit sloppy at times and uh yeah those green eyes just look terrible (laughs) (laughs) um yeah
0: it's just a it's unremarkable
1: that's what i'd say it's an unremarkable film it's definitely one of the weaker vincent price movies
0: (laughs) these eyes (laughs) shine every night for you (laughs) creepers where'd you get those (laughs) peeps? so that's it for uh this movie but the vincent price love will continue this month as we have other movies to cover but we want to thank dave bronstein for joining us into the 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 late hours of almost 11 p.m thank Mm -hmm. you it's a pleasure here thank you and uh where can people find you dave at, uh,
2: who the hell knows, go to <laughs> davesamazingdeals.com you won't see any green lights, you won't see any heads and, and, and statues <laughs> <As a laughs> most, you'll just see a lot of fun, davesamazingdeals.com that's
1: where you can find me
0: Alright, and uh, John, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, well, right now I'm mostly just uh, putting content onto my Instagram page as of now, uh, you can look me up on Mickey as in, like, MickeyMouse.v. Um, yeah, I mostly, well, I'm starting to post a little more stuff about this podcast on there, and Paisley I do my, uh, you know, my Fireplay stuff on there often. And I don't know, when I get back into making some chain mail, uh, I'll be sharing more of that on there as well.
0: Yeah, and as for me, well, you found me already, so keep doing that.
2: <laughs> all
0: right, thank and uh, you, thank you, you were great. Thank you, oh, of course. And uh, of course, uh, for all you people out there, uh, rate, review the podcast, help uh, spread the word, let people know that we exist. And uh, you know, we're giving good uh, information as well as entertainment. Yes. And until next time, I'm Mike and I'm John, and I'm David. And thank you for joining us as we honor Vincent Price on the graveyard Shift The Graveyard Shift is a Strange Biscuits production. Visit our website at strangebiscuits.com slash graveyard shift to hear all of our previous episodes. Subscribe to us, rate, and review us on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify, and don't forget to check out our Instagram at the Graveyard Shift Pod, as well as our Facebook at the Graveyard Shift Pod. Our Twitter is gs underscore horrorpod, and if you wish to support the show financially, visit us at patreon.com/graveyard. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and get bonus content. The theme for the Graveyard Shift is "As Brutal as It Ever Was" by Techno Axe visit their website at technoax.com and their youtube channel for more royalty-free music thank you for listening and as always stay spooky <laughs> <laughs>